Well, good morning, Grace Chapel, Wilmington, Watertown, Lexington. Glad you're all here. Feeling good this morning? Patriot Swan, feels like spring, right? Everybody's in a good mood? That's good, that's good. Well, Randy Kilgore is a member of our church and a workplace chaplain. After spending many years in the human resources field, he's devoted his work in recent years to marketplace ministry, trying to help Christ followers integrate their faith and their work. Well, over the years, Randy has interviewed and surveyed hundreds, if not thousands, of workers from every field and sector of society. And Randy finds that these days, 50-somethings and 20-somethings are asking the same question about work, but from different perspectives. 50-somethings are asking, what has my work been all about? What have I accomplished that has real, lasting value? Should I have done something different or better with my career? 20-somethings are asking a similar question, but they're asking it forward. What will my work be all about? What can I do that won't just make a living for me, but will make a difference in the world? Now, I would imagine that 30-somethings and 40-somethings would probably be asking the same things. The problem is they are working so hard, they don't have time to ask questions <laughs> like that. But the truth is, we're all asking that question, whether at the beginning or the middle or the end of our working lives. What's it all about? We don't want to waste our one and only life. And since work constitutes a major part of that life, we want to know that our work matters, that it adds up to something in the end, something meaningful, not just for us, but for society and, and for God. Well, last week we began our series by learning that it's possible to be at work and on mission at the same time. Work is not a distraction from or an obstacle to whatever mission God has put on our hearts in life. We went back to the beginning, to the book of Genesis in the Old Testament, and we learned that God wants His world to flourish. He wants there to be more creativity, more diversity, more productivity. He wants this world to become everything He intended it to be. And so He created us, you and me, men and women, in His image, in order that we might be co-laborers with Him cultivating the earth and caring for its inhabitants. And so we concluded that work matters when it contributes to human flourishing. Living on mission begins by working well and hard at anything that makes life better for people and the planet. And that's good to know. That's encouraging. This past week, I was getting a haircut and decided I would do a little sermon research while I was at it. So I asked the woman cutting my hair what she finds satisfying about her work. And right away she said, oh, it's the people. She said, I grew up here in Bedford, and I've known most of these people my whole life. My work, she said, is to make old Bedford beautiful. <laughs> now, I thought that was really nice until I realized I was sitting in the chair. <laughs> what are you saying exactly? But she went on to say that people come into her shop and, and they've just gotten bad news, they've just come out of the hospital, they've lost a loved one or a friend, and, and they sit in her chair and they tell their story and she makes them look beautiful and, and they walk out the door a lot happier and more hopeful than when they came in. That's good work. But I think we'd all agree 
There's more to living on mission than making people look and feel a little bit better. We want people to be changed from the inside out. We want people to be healed and helped and made whole and well. We want men and women to become everything God meant them to be. It's nice to see the local economy thrive, but we want to see the church thrive. It's nice to contribute to a global economy, but how about the global gospel? We want the good news to go out to all people everywhere. God's mission isn't just to make life a little bit better. It's to transform this world, make it everything he designed it to be from the beginning, and we want to join him in that transformative work. So, so how do we do that? Well, we can't all become pastors and missionaries. I mean, who would pay our salaries, for one thing, right? We need you folks to work. <laughs> Besides, not everyone is gifted for, for, for preaching and teaching or, or planting churches or translating the Bible. Not everybody is interested, frankly, in spending 50 hours a week with their nose in a Bible commentary or hanging around with church people. We can't all be in full-time Christian work, can we? So how do we, how do you make your work matter for eternity? Let's keep this conversation going by this week going to the New Testament and seeing what the Apostle Paul has to say about work and mission. Now last fall, we spent 10 weeks with the Apostle Paul, if you remember, and we described him as the most missional human being who's ever lived apart from Jesus of Nazareth. Well, we followed him around and watched him in action. What I'd like to do this morning is to look at some of his letters and see what he wrote to the Christians of his day about work and about, about mission. So usually we, we stick with one text of Scripture and kind of dig deep. We're going to trace a theme through some of Paul's letters here for a few minutes. I want us to see how central work is to Paul's understanding of the Christian life and mission. And as we learned last week, this is a message not just for people who are heading out the door to a nine-to-five job every day. We all wake up every morning with work to do, whether we're students in the workforce, stay-at-home, retirees, whatever it is, in transition, we all have work to do. How can we make it matter for God? So let's begin with Paul's letter to the church in Rome. We'll look at the opening of that letter, Romans chapter 1 and verse 1. He writes, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. So Paul introduces himself as a servant of Christ, called to be an apostle. I want to focus on that word called for a minute. Paul is telling his readers, he's telling us, that he didn't just wake up one day and decide to be an apostle. He didn't take an aptitude test that told him he had entrepreneurial skills and cross-cultural gifts. He didn't figure this would be a nice way to see the world on someone else's ticket. No, Paul became an apostle because God called him to it, singled him out and set him apart for a very particular kind of work. Uh, you remember the story, perhaps. He's on his way into Damascus. He's knocked off his horse. God calls him by name and appoints him to be a servant to the Gentile world. From that moment on, Paul had no doubt about what his life's work would be, spreading the gospel and planting churches all over the world. But we use that same language today, when we talk, the language of calling, when we talk about people who are pastors or missionaries or, or church leaders and that sort of thing. 
our, our pastor of young adult ministries, uh, Dave Ripper, just preached a couple of Sundays ago. Uh, he just recently passed his uh, ordination council here at Grace, and so on January 26th, he will be ordained to the gospel ministry, and he will be officially called a reverend, with all the rights and privileges there, too, okay? Now, if that council had seen him dressed up like a Christmas present and uh, bouncing around, I'm not sure they would have had the same thing. But one of, one of the things the council wanted to know was not just does Dave know his Bible well and does he have ministry skills. They wanted to know, had he received and could he articulate a call from God to Christian ministry? And of course, he was able to articulate that call. And so we associate this notion of calling with people who are in what we call full-time Christian work. And we get that language right here from Romans 1.1. But now look at what Paul writes just a few verses later down in verse 7. He says, To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. He uses the same word, called. Only this time he applies it to, to every Christ follower. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. You know what the word saints means? It means set apart ones. Well, that's the same language he used to describe himself back in verse 1, set apart for the gospel of God. Apparently, Paul is not the only one who has a unique God-given assignment in this world. According to Paul, every believer is called by God. More importantly, it means you have been called by God for the work of the gospel. Now, for Paul, that work meant preaching and planting churches. For you, it will probably mean something very, very different. But you've been called to it. It's still a calling. In fact, when we, we still retain that language when we talk about our vocations. It's the Latin word vocatio, calling. Let's jump to another one of Paul's letters, this time to the church in Corinth. He makes a very interesting statement in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. He writes, Nevertheless, each one should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. It seems that some of these believers, when they come to faith in Christ, were beginning to wonder if they should make radical changes in their life circumstances. In other words, if they were single, should they get married? If they were married to an unbeliever, should they, should they leave that person? Paul says, no. God's call transcends, is bigger than your circumstances. If you're single, it's okay to stay single. If you're married, yes, you should stay married. Then he goes on to apply that principle to some other situations, like cultural background. If you're uncircumcised, he says, if you're a Gentile, then you don't need to be circumcised, which was good news to his Gentile readers, I'm sure, okay? <laughs> and then he applies that principle, interestingly, to their working lives. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. Although if you can gain your freedom, do so. Brothers and sisters, each person should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. Now, as we've discussed before, old world slavery in the ancient world 
was not exactly like the race-based slavery we're familiar with from our modern world. But even in that ancient world, slavery was not a situation anyone would want to be in. Some slaves enjoyed a certain amount of autonomy. Some were able to work at skilled labor. But for most slaves in the ancient world, their daily work was tedious, dreary, difficult, monotonous, and sometimes downright brutal. But, Paul says, it's possible to be a slave and be called at the same time. The point he's making is that you can fulfill God's call on your life regardless of your circumstances. You can live on mission wherever you are and whatever you're doing. In fact, where you are and what you're doing may be exactly what God has in mind for you at this season of your life. Which means God probably doesn't want you to quit your job and become a pastor or a missionary. Now, if you find yourself in a situation where you are unhappy in your work, if you're underemployed, then by all means, look for a better job. But it is possible, even in a difficult job, even when you are looking for a job, it is possible for you to be serving Christ even in that particular season of your life, right where you are. Let's go on. One more passage, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Paul says, as a a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And there it is again, that called word, and there it is applied to everybody who's reading. A few verses later, he explains what he means in verse 11. It was he, Christ, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so the body of Christ may be built up. He reminds his readers and us that God does call some people to vocational Christian ministry, to be pastors and teachers and evangelists. But notice that the work of those pastors and teachers and evangelists is to mobilize and equip everybody else for the work they have been called to do. Now, I don't usually do this to you, but uh, let me lay some Greek on you for just a moment or two, just to prove I had my nose in a Bible commentary for a few hours this week, okay? And it'll help you appreciate the passage. In the Greek language in which Paul was writing this letter, he uses this phrase, eis ergon diakonias. Eis means for or into. Ergon is the word for work, from which we get ergonomics. And diakonias probably sounds familiar, is usually translated ministry or service. We get our word deacon from that word. To prepare God's people for works, for the work of ministry. Remember, this is you he's talking about, not not me. In other words, our kingdom work as pastors and teachers is to prepare you for your kingdom work as accountants or electricians or sales representatives, or soccer moms, or high school students, or whoever or whatever it is you happen to be doing in this world. Now, I realize when we look at these verses, we we often apply this to, to work inside the church, as if we equip you to work as Sunday school teachers or small group leaders or Stephen ministers, and that's certainly true. But there's nothing in this text that says the work of ministry is only done inside the church. In fact, he describes the church as the body of Christ. And isn't the mission of the body of Christ to bring the presence of Christ into the world? 
Aren't we to be the hands and feet of Jesus in the world, carrying on the work that he began? The church doesn't exist to serve itself, but to serve the world, to carry on Christ's work, to bring his presence into the marketplace, into the schools, into the hospitals, into the factories, into the farms, into anywhere people are, all these various places. And pastors, pastors don't typically spend much time in all of those places. In fact, sometimes we're not even allowed to anymore. Just the other day, I got a, a text message from a, from a guy I had in my youth group a long, long time ago. I still think of him as the kid. He's a 40-year-old insurance agent in Connecticut somewhere, but this is what he writes in his little text. He says, so I'm in the gym, and dust in the wind comes on, 1980s Kansas song, and I find myself thinking of a visit you made to Nanuet High School, and you played and talked about that song. See, when I was a youth pastor back in the day, I was allowed to hang around the school. I had lunch with students. I worked out with the soccer team. I even got invited to teach health classes on faith and religion. That doesn't happen in our world anymore. Pastors are not really welcome in schools or in, in many other environments anymore. But you are. You have access. You have influence. You have presence. You have a voice in places that, that, that I can never go. And so God has called you, and you in particular, to do the work of ministry where you are, whatever you're doing, whoever you're doing it with or for. And I'm not really just talking about sharing your faith, witnessing, telling others about Jesus, although it certainly includes that. I'm talking about doing your work in a way that brings the presence of Christ into your workplace and using your work, your skill, your connections, your influence, your resources, using that work to advance Christ's interests in this world. Justice, peace, righteousness, love, grace, kindness, hope. Now, this is not a new idea. This is a major tenet of the Protestant Reformation. Both Luther and Calvin believed that believers, all believers, were called by God, not just to salvation, but to service. We describe it as the priesthood of all believers. What that means is that every believer, every person, can relate to God personally without a clergyman, but it also means every believer can represent Christ in the world personally without a clergyman. So I have never liked describing pastors and missionaries as people who are in full-time Christian work. The truth is, we're all in full-time Christian work. We just do it in different ways and in different places. So if you've ever found yourself wondering if God might be calling you into the ministry, guess what? He has. But chances are you don't need to leave your job to carry out that ministry. And many of us are familiar with the name Wilbur, William Wilberforce. He was a member of parliament back in the turn of the 19th to the 20th century, and uh, one of those centuries. Um, <laughs> and he's largely credited with uh, bringing an end to the slave trade in Great Britain. What you may not know about William Wilberforce was that he came to faith later in life, when he was already well into his political career. And after coming to faith in Christ, he began to feel like he should quit his post in Parliament, that he should find an occupation that was more appropriate to a Christ follower. 
In fact, he was thinking about going into the ministry. Fortunately, his spiritual mentors advised him not to do that and helped him understand that he could best serve God in parliament than he could uh, in the pastorate. What you also may not know about Wilberforce is that he didn't do this work alone. He was part of a whole community of Christian people from all walks of life and all vocations of life who together were committed to being about God's work in this world. And, and together they used their influence, their resources, their professional skills to advance that work. Now some of them were clergymen, but others were financiers and merchants, and authors, and politicians, and yes, stay-at-home moms, and even a brewmaster was a part of the group. They were called the Clapham sect because of where they were from. In addition to their anti-slavery efforts, they, they brought all kinds of reform to society. They, they, they improved uh, the conditions in hospitals and in, and in prisons. They improved uh, working conditions in factories for the working class people. They championed the causes of immigrants and aliens in British society. They formed Bible societies, missionary societies, the Sunday school societies, the Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals. That whole movement was started by this group. Now, you know what they were called at the time? The Saints. It was a nickname used in derision by members of high society. But it was, in fact, the very name Paul would have given to them. It was, in fact, the work they had been called to, set apart for the gospel of God. And they accomplished far more by remaining in their professions and occupations than they would have if they'd gone into church work. Now, I realize you may not be a politician or a wealthy financier. You may not feel as though you wield great influence. But you have been given skills, and work, and connections, and influence that you can use to serve Christ and his kingdom. In fact, that's our learning for this week. Our work matters when it's done for Christ and his kingdom. See, being on mission is more than just about human flourishing. Human flourishing is great, but it's also about kingdom flourishing. It's about doing our work in a way that brings Christ's presence into the world and advances his interests in this world, justice, peace, righteousness. So how in the world do we do that? How do you do that at work? Quick, three quick thoughts, and then we'll talk about it more next week. First, you do that by the quality of your work. When you work well, you not only bless people with a good product or good service, you gain credibility for your faith, for the gospel of Jesus Christ in the world. The, the great author and thinker Dorothy Sayers once wrote this about work. She said, the church's approach to a carpenter is usually confined to moral instruction and church attendance. In other words, be honest and go to church on Sunday. What the church should be telling the carpenter is that the very first demand his religion makes is to make good tables. So if you want your work to matter for Christ's sake, make good tables or movies or meals or widgets. Whatever it is that you make or sell or service for a living, do it well. Design beautiful interiors. Teach interesting classes. Write 
thoughtful term papers, serve nutritious meals, build sturdy houses, provide skilled care. You get the idea. If you want to honor Christ in your work, work well. Secondly, we serve Christ by the conduct of our work, by the way we carry ourselves on the job. In another one of his letters, Paul is writing to slaves and masters, and he reminds them that both slaves and masters are accountable to God for the way they work. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people. So if you're working for Christ, work hard. Be on time. Show up early or stay late if that's what the job requires. Go the extra mile for your customers or your clients. Volunteer for the task no one else on the team wants to take on. Employers, be fair and reasonable. Pay a good wage. Have a good environment for your working people. Employees, do your best whether the boss is looking or not. So the quality of our work, the conduct of our work, and thirdly, we serve Christ by the impact of our work. What effect are you having on the people you work with and for and around? Do they sniff the aroma of Christ when they are working near you? Do they get a glimpse into what life in the kingdom of God is like by working alongside you? What effect does your work have on the world? Is the world just a little more just, a a, a little more beautiful, a little more grace-filled because of what you do and the way you do it? We'll talk more about these things next week. That little phrase, for Christ and his kingdom, holds some special meaning for me because it's the motto of the college I attended, for Christ and his kingdom. Now, when we were students, we probably didn't always appreciate the full meaning of that motto, but as I look back, I'm struck by how formative that little phrase has been on my life and my work, and not just on mine, but all the, uh, the people that I went to school with. Even though it's a Christian college that has strong Bible and ministry departments, it's a liberal arts school, most of the graduates go on to serve Christ in all kinds of fields and sectors of society. I got thinking about the handful of roommates and friends that I graduated with, and I'm still close to these many years later. In fact, I found an old picture of that little crew, a few of us anyway. (laughs) Now, I was going to say I'm the one with the hair, but that wouldn't help you too much, I guess. (laughs) Um, But that's four of us, and there's one more who graduated a year later. Now, I'm the only one who went into vocational Christian ministry. The guy on the left in the mustache is a physical therapist now in Maryland. Uh, the guy in the glasses is a, directs a family-run funeral home in Minneapolis. The guy on my, on my left is a software engineer up uh, right here in New Hampshire. And there's one other guy who's a VP of marketing for a global company. Each of them, you can take that down now. Um, <laughs> each of them, each of them have had a remarkable impact for Christ and his kingdom through their professional lives. I happened to have lunch with a guy from New Hampshire just last week. So again, I did some sermon research and asked him about his work. First, I made the mistake of asking him, a software engineer, what he did for a living. (laughs) Something with cybersecurity, my eyes glazed over, and I just said, stop, I'm glad you're doing it, you know. I said, how do you serve Christ at your work while you're figuring out cybersecurity for your company? 
And he explained that he believes his best contribution is to bring the presence of Christ into his workplace, to, to represent Christ in that industry and in his company in particular. In fact, he told me that just recently one of his coworkers, who's an outspoken atheist, told him, my friend, that he's the only Christian he has ever really respected. I can assure you that's not because my friend has a big Bible on his desk. It's because of the quality and the conduct of his work. Over the years, he's worked hard and well and has earned the respect of his bosses, his teammates, his team members, his colleagues, and his competitors. It's not uncommon at all for people to seek him out for wisdom and even spiritual conversations. And the same things are true of my other friends as well. They have, I'm so proud of them. I'm, I'm proud of their work. They have served Christ and his kingdom in ways that I never could, frankly. Not only through their professional work itself, but they have used, leveraged their skill, their resources, their connections for the work of the kingdom. They, 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 they serve on school boards in their town, the, the Rotary Club, uh, uh, the Board of Young Life. Uh, they serve their churches. They give generously to uh, worthy causes and churches all across the world. I'm so glad they answered God's call to the marketplace instead of ministry, instead of church ministry. And I'm glad you have answered that call as well. I am so glad that you are all out there every day in all these sectors of society doing the work that only you can do in a place that only you can do it. In just a moment, we're going to pray for some of you. We're going to commission some of you, as we did last week, who go off to work in a particular field. And this week, we're going to commission those of you who have been called to the marketplace, to what we're calling commerce and culture making. So if you work in any of these fields, if you're training to work in these fields, if you're retired from one of these fields, thinking about transitioning to one of these fields, business, manufacturing, retail, trades, technology, finance, art, entertainment, media, if you work in any of those fields, you are making Christ known in that sector and you are advancing Christ's work around the world. You are shaping culture not only where you work, but in our city and our region and our world. We're also going to be praying and commissioning for those who are job-seeking and in transition. So I'm thinking of teenagers and young people, college students, still looking for, listening for God's call on their lives. I'm thinking of people who are out of work right now and looking for work, people who are underemployed. It's a challenging season of life to be in. I'm thinking of people later on in their careers who may be thinking about a second half of life and doing something differently. Maybe God will call you out of the marketplace and into church work. That's happened to many, for many of our staff members. But it, there are a variety of ways in which you can serve Christ in the world. Billy Graham once observed that the marketplace is to the 21st century what medicine was to the 20th century. What he means, of course is that it was medicine in the 20th century that opened up the world to the spread of the gospel and the spread of the church. As doctors and nurses went out far-flung places around the world to open hospitals and start clinics and vaccinate children and teach preventive health care, they gained credibility for the gospel. They forged relationships. They, they opened doors that eventually led to the establishment of churches and orphanages and schools and hospitals and radio stations. Many of those nations are more Christian now than the United States is because of their work. 
Well, in this 21st century, it's the marketplace that is opening up these kinds of doors. It's creating opportunities for God's work to be done. I think we'd all agree the church's influence is waning in our culture today. No, no one is calling and asking for the pastor's opinion on a variety of issues facing our culture. The majority of people will not be in church on Sunday morning. But every Monday morning, thousands of you are released into the marketplace. <laughs> That's you. Schools, hospitals, offices, factories. To do what only you can do in the places only you can go. I want you to know, on behalf of the pastors of this church, we are proud of you. We are thankful for you. We want to do everything we can to mobilize and equip you for that work, to help you live a life worthy of the calling you've received. And so this morning, we'd like to commission those of you who are working in this particular field or looking for work in any of these fields. I'm going to release the campuses now to their particular venues so they can have a pastoral prayer moment right there on their campus. And uh, we will be doing the same thing right here in Lexington and in the courtyard as well. So if you fit into any of these categories, I'm going to ask you to stand right now where you are. Work in commerce or culture making, or if you are a job seeker, perhaps a student, uh, feel free to stand where you are. I'm going to invite Tom Kalatosti to come and pray for us this morning. Tom is the chairman of our elders, and he has also spent a lifetime work uh, as an executive and uh, in finance in the marketplace as well. So Tom, come pray, please. Well, let's pray. Sovereign, eternal, holy, and merciful triune God, you are our creator, redeemer, and sanctifier. We bow in humility because we know your majesty. We worship you for what you have done out of your unlimited life, love, and we give you thanks for your inexhaustible blessings. Among our blessings, we thank you for our work, for the strength, the health, the wisdom, the skills, and the opportunity we have to apply the gifts that you have given us, to provide for our families, to enrich the people around us, to contribute to the common good of society, to be salt and light, and to use our earned resources to advance your kingdom purposes in this world. Lord, we acknowledge that some are in a season of discouragement today because of unemployment, underemployment, transition, or health challenges. We ask out of your goodness and mercy that you'll provide healing and opportunity for those in need this morning. Give them courage and confidence and assurance that you are their God, that your love is unwavering, and that you have a plan for them. We thank you, Lord, for our particular calling to our vocations in preparing us with the gifts and skills to do our work with nobility, competence, and excellence. All work is ordained by you. So help us to grasp the truth that all of us, regardless of position or title, work for you. We are your emissaries of peace and joy, encouragement, righteousness, eternal hope, in the sphere of influence that you have placed us. May we demonstrate the gospel in word and deed by the quality of our work, the integrity of our lives, our kindness to people, and our spirit of joy 
in you. For those who work is on the front lines, individual contributors, expertise and knowledge workers, we pray that they will perform their responsibilities with excellence as unto the Lord. Give them character and grace and patience when they experience less than valuing and empowering environments, difficult bosses and demanding customers who expect too much and appreciate too little. May the quality of their work in their winsome manner reflect Christ and be a testimony of your transforming power in their lives. Help them to progress, grow, and develop to reach their career aspirations and their God-given potential. For those in positions of authority, managers and leaders and executives, they bear a heavy responsibility and accountability. May they be missional in their vision to build businesses, divisions, and departments that serve and contribute principal products and services for the betterment of your creation. Fill them with wisdom, compassion, integrity, and kindness so they can deal justly with their customers and their employees. May they lead in Christ's likeness to create workplaces that are havens for creativity, empowerment, dignity, and safety, where employees are supported to grow and develop in skills and in responsibility. We pray that you will prosper these leaders so they can create good and meaningful jobs and provide them with abundant resources so they're able to be generous stewards. Loving and faithful God, by the authority of your scriptures, the love of Christ, and the power of your Holy Spirit, we commission these Christ followers as marketplace ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Give them all the ability, grace, and strength to fulfill your calling on their lives. In Jesus' name, our Savior and Lord, we pray. Amen. Can we affirm those around us who are standing and working in this field? I'll ask the rest of you to stand, please, for the benediction. Well, thanks for being part of our conversation. We'll continue it next week, talking about how to make a difference through our work, and then we'll wrap it up in two weeks by talking about the dark side of work. Okay, so two more weeks to go. But until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you on the job. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace so you can share it with others. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you that you might display his grace to the world around you. Amen.